Hey, everybody. Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have a local host of the Sunday Sunday Sesh, right? Mm-hmm. Ken Apperson. Uh, you're now you're a St. Pete guy. Or now I am. Now you are. Yeah. Okay, you came over for, from St. Pete today. I did. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but a Florida guy originally, or no? I've been in Florida for about twelve years. Okay. Did you come here that. from New York? No. Okay. No, St. Louis. Okay. Same All right. Missouri. I, I need to get a map in here so I can start Oh yeah. putting a, a little thumbtack in wherever people are coming from. But I've had an inordinate amount of people from New York. But I guess that's just true of Florida. A lot of people, you know, migrate here from there. So, uh, St. Louis, what is, what is Apperson? Uh, as far as I know, it's English. Okay. It's, a, it's an English name. And I only know that because I went to Epcot and went to the English names uh, section in the English part of there and i found my name well there you go yeah it sounds sounds as good as any other explanation it sounds extremely generic a person with two p's i wouldn't have i wouldn't have been able to break it down like that but that's that's interesting um so st louis until what age Ah, let's see. I was 20. I guess I was 22. So you had some of the uh, Midwest, you know, ethos kind of drenched into you. You were there long enough for it to kind of stick. Absolutely. Um, Was your family uh, religious at all or were they... You know, that's a, it's a funny thing. Um, it always seems to go hand in hand with the Midwest. You got the Bible Belt and then you got the Midwest kind of. For the most part. But St. Louis is a unique place because it's... Um, it's a bunch like, of heretics. Well, yeah, <laughs> among other things. Yeah. But, but the thing is, it, like the city itself is this kind of self-contained, non-regional. Like you can, you can hear the way that I speak. I don't have much of a Southern no. accent. Because I was taught, well, one, I, I have a grandmother who, who was very insistent on proper diction and, and vocabulary and all that. Thing. But also because St. Louis is this funny, um, self-contained, non-regional uh, place. Um, they have the Cardinals baseball. Sure. They have, uh, you know, toasted ravioli. Right. And, and everything else is is a little bit generic. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the behavior outside of maintaining a good amount of like Southern hospitality uh, doesn't really hold true with other like Southern things like, you know, tea. We don't like sweet tea. We like non-sweet tea. Is yeah. it considered South Missouri? This is what I mean. Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean. it's kind of exists on its own plane. It it's kind, kind of, of a, a middle distance between the, the mm-hmm. up north Minnesota, that Wisconsin area. Yeah. And the, I've been I've been to St. Louis a couple times. It's funny for the longest time until like my late thirties. The only two traffic tickets I ever got in my life were in Missouri. Ha. Two different trips. My so my dad was in the seminary to become a priest before he met my mom, and he was at Conception Abbey, Missouri, which. I don't know if that means anything to you, but um, way out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And so you can drive a couple hours and not see shit. And mm-hmm. so you don't really pay attention to how fast you're going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had the cop beam up behind me and he's like, do you know how fast you're going? No. No. You know, you could have heard someone. I was like, who? <laughs> you're the first person I've seen in four hours. But um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, the people were great. The, the, the weather was great. I, it was a, it was a cool town. Um, so, uh, siblings, one brother and how old, younger, older, he's seven years younger than me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we barely grew up in the same house realistically. And where is he now? He's up there in Missouri with my dad. You guys talk? 
Uh, a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's always, it's always, it's always weird. I don't know what the sweet spot is for age difference between siblings where they have a shared experience and they don't have a shared experience. I actually read somewhere that if you're, if you're five years or more apart, it's very hard to find commonalities. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, common interests, common uh, threads. Because essentially you grew up in two separate generations. Right. Uh, I've had a few guests on who were like one of seven, but the next oldest one was like 10 years older. It was right. basically like they were an only child after the first family moved through town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what brought you to Florida? Well, um, I was 22. I was in a band and we thought that the band was going to conquer the world. And, what was the band? Uh, the band was called Everlight. Okay. Um, now what year would this have been? Uh, let's see. This was, uh, 2008, 2009. Okay. Earlier around there. How old of a guy are you? I'm 34. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what, where did, where did music enter your life? Did, was your family have music on? Did you, you didn't have an older brother to, to no. listen to his albums? Or That's did, true. Was there, was dad playing records or just friends or <laughs> how, did, how did it come into your life? Um, mom had a piano when I was very young and then did you play happened it? in the face. She, I didn't play it. I okay. never took an interest in it. When okay. I was didn't, couldn't care less about right. it. Right. Um, Piano is such a it's such a valuable instrument in learning music, but it's one of the least sexy instruments out there, you know, so it doesn't have that appeal to younger kids like a guitar or what drums do. Yeah. When you're when you're a young boy and you want to be a badass, um, you want to be a badass and it's hard to see, you know, a badass behind a piano when reality there are so many, you know, first one I think of is Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, mom had the piano, couldn't care less about that. She also had an old guitar lying around the house. That Acoustic? I, I, yes. I never saw her play it, but I knew it was always there. Picked it up when I was seven or eight, put it right back down. Picked it up when I was 12, 13, put it right back down. And then for whatever reason, when I was around 15, uh, I picked up that guitar and I never put it down. What were you into at that age? Were you, uh, you know, an artist? Were you an athlete? Were you an academic? Were you a layabout? What was your... I was, um, well, I was into skateboarding at the time. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this is what I, well, this is what I was hoping your answer is. Mm-hmm. Cause anybody who's point of entry to music is skateboarding. I can, I can, you can relate. I can relate and talk to. Well, the funny thing is music wise and culture wise, I never, I wasn't deeply ingrained in the skateboarding culture. Right. Um, but like music wise, I loved, my favorite band was Incubus. That okay. Was my favorite band. I wanted to, I wanted to play guitar like Mike Isinger, Mike Einziger, I forget how, how to say his last name. Um, I wanted to play guitar like him. Right. I loved the, the way that he constructed melodies. I didn't know I loved these things at the time. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but he, you know, he was very, um, courageous with the way that he constructed melodies and chord structures. And the way that they wrote together as a band collectively was really inspiring to me as a person as at a young age who didn't really feel like I belonged with any one group and didn't really feel like I related to any, uh, anyone. In particular. What album did you, did you start following them with? Do you remember? Uh, the first one was the make yourself album. Okay. Um, and then I went, you know, retroactive. I went to, uh, uh, Science. science. Yes, science. So science is what I remember first hearing them, and they were much more of a kind of new metal-y type mm-hmm. of... Like metal meets hip-hop, strange. Right. You know, very angular guitars, very kind of truncated, you know, rhythms, you know, uh, more in the realm of Deftones or, you know, Limp Bizkit Corn and that sort of thing at the time. And then they, they kind of became a little bit more pop in their sensibilities and ballads and... 
you know, more traditional song structures. But I remember that science album because it was, it was during that, you know, they were, they were a weird band when they first started. They were weird in a good way. Yeah. 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 So, um, so Incubus got you on board. Did you ask for an electric right away or did you play the acoustic for a while? (laughs) Uh, Of course I asked for an electric right away, but uh, the parents made the rule. They said that if you, if you keep, playing for the next six months until your birthday, right. which was October at the time, then we will uh, talk about uh, a electric guitar and lessons. But they said you can't have one or the other. But they, they said you can't have a guitar unless you're going to take lessons. Right. You got to do both. Yeah. So, so what did you say? It was six months without lessons or an electric guitar? Mm-hmm. And right. this was pre-YouTube, I, I would imagine. Right. So, uh, what you know, what were you doing? Just watching MTV or buying you know, tab books from your local store. It was, it was right when tablature websites were popping up, became a thing. Like literally maybe that year or the year before that, the, um, I don't even remember the popular one at the time, but, uh, but yeah, I was pulling tabs. That's basically what I was doing. I was pulling tabs and I was learning chords. I did buy a chord book and I was learning chords. Um, the funny thing was in the uh, guitar case that, uh, contained my mom's guitar that was now apparently mine. Um, there was a lyric chart for American Pie with chords right. uh, over the you know the, the chord changes and whatever the lyric was. So I learned those chords uh, painfully because the guitar was just it did it hadn't been set up ever. And I always just, love early guitar yeah. stories. Like yeah. I was uh, one of my favorite documentaries is We Jam Akano, which is the uh, Minutemen documentary. Oh, cool! And uh, Mike Watt, who was the bass player for that band, but has gone on to be kind of a, a hero of everybody in, in, in that genre. But Flea was talking about how when Mike Watt started, he didn't realize that. You actually tune the strings. He thought yeah. that some people just like to play them loose. Other people just like to play them tight. <laughs> and it would just, just wow. tighten them or loosen them until they felt comfortable. I was like, I can't even imagine what that sounded like. But <laughs> but uh, anyway. That's hilarious. Wow. So, so anyway, so six months of pulling tabs and, and figuring out yep. chords with your hand. Yep. Six months of pulling tabs and, and literally making my fingers bleed because I didn't want to stop playing. And, uh, next thing I knew, yeah, I'd stuck with it long enough. They got me, uh, an Ibanez. Nope. Okay. Uh, a, a Strat pack. So the okay. Squire, the Squire okay. Stratocaster. With the, so red or white? Uh, it was black. Damn, I'm striking out today. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's Ibanez always seems to be the, the gateway drug for a lot more Florida people. Cause yep. it's always like mm-hmm. metal, uh, you know, if you're a metal guy, then it's, then it's the Ibanez. It's and then, true. and then with the Strat, it's, they're always white or red for some reason, but you get a black Almost one. Almost so always. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I got a, I was the best thing that could have ever happened to me musically was the teacher that I Man, does that make a difference? Everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, so, uh, cause I told them basically I learned that Mike Eisinger was a jazz theory, uh, major. He had a degree from right. jazz theory. And I was like, oh, so then, okay. So he, so I need, that, I need one so of those. That's what I need to learn. Right. So they, they got me a teacher who, uh, knew jazz theory. And as it turned out, he had a master's degree in jazz theory and performance. Wow. Um, so yeah, he knew his stuff. So what did those lessons look like? Is it what song do you want to learn? Or no. is it, yeah, cause that's usually what you get. It started that way. Yeah. It started that way as they usually do. Yeah. Um, half hour lessons. I'd come in this teeny tiny little closet size room. He's got a little, you know, a little boom box in the corner. Right. And, uh, on top of an amp. 
and you know he's got a little music stand and that's pretty much it two chairs that's it very close quarters and um the first thing he ever taught me i still remember the first thing he ever taught me was was proper strumming technique yeah because that was the thing that i was missing well that's the thing with everybody's everybody foot well i'll say the left hand but it depends on you know which way you're oriented but you know the so the right hand always kind of is the last thing people pay attention Mm -hmm. to and it's it's true i mean to this day you know, I still can't hold a pick the way I'm supposed to, yeah. like, you know, but um, you're so concerned with scales and chords that you never pay attention to the strumming. I, that's one of the reasons why I was so lucky to have the teacher that I had, because he made me put a lot of focus in my right hand. Right. Um, also, because I'm left handed. Well, there you go. So, so there's the... so my right hand needed that attention. Right. But so that lesson went by and he said, this isn't going to happen in one week. Stick with it. And it'll probably click on like a light switch when you finally understand this. Because he gave me, he didn't just give me like a, a set of exercises. He gave me an entire concept of technique. And and once you essentially learn that concept, then strumming becomes universal. Right. These ideas can be applied mentally. You can hear how they are, they're applied to any strumming structure. Because it's just rhythm, basically. Well, it's, it's interesting. So, so a couple things there. First yeah. off is... The concept that you're talking about, I think, is so universal and so important and so misunderstood in, in pretty much teaching anything. Mm-hmm. There really is an order in which you need to learn things because, you know, for instance, I'm a by day a divorce attorney. And so okay. I'll have people get on the phone with me and they start telling me about this fight that they had. And, you know, he's a drunk. And I was like, let's let's start here. When did you get married? Yeah. OK, mm-hmm. how long? How many children do you have? like? Mm-hmm. Give me a I always it's a horrible analogy. But I say we got to put the Christmas tree up before they hang the ornaments on it. <laughs> so but that's you know, I there was a you know, with guitar, you know, I'm I'm you know, still learning. Uh, I was really into jujitsu and martial arts for a while. While and, and people kind of, you know, they want to learn this move without understanding leverage and position and breathing and mm-hmm. all these other things. And so, um, as with what you're describing, you know, that, that first teacher or, or kind of where you enter into guitar can make all the difference on your success or failure. It, on it. it really can. Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing was, and, and this is where you'll be able to educate me more, but one of the concepts that kind of resonated with me is looking at a fretboard like a keyboard or like mm-hmm. a piano mm-hmm. and thinking about strumming like percussion. It's almost like percussion and a key, you know, two different instruments playing on two, two different sides of that. Two different instruments playing on both sides of that instrument together, right? You know, you're you're percussive this way. You're you're pulling the notes out on this side. So that's what he taught me, right? Right hand. He said, "Your right hand is percussion." That's what he said. He said, "This this instrument is an extremely versatile instrument." And he taught me to have a lot of respect for it. And he actually (laughs) he taught me to kind of to be a bit of a snob uh, for a while there. As far as what music you listen to or uh, as far as who I respect as musicians. Right. Um, and, and it, I, I missed out on some, so I'll get back to that in a minute, but, but basically, yeah, the right hand is percussion and think of it like percussion. Think of it like a groove, right? No matter if you're strumming or picking, no matter what you're doing, that's going to be your source of rhythm. And you should always sound like you have a, you have an internal source of rhythm, even if you're playing solo, because how many really great guitarists have you, heard play with a band and they sound tight and they sound great. And then they switch to their track. That's like them by themselves. And it's like, Ooh, they're rushing. Really yeah. They're slowing yeah, down. They're, yeah. There's, there's variance in their tempo. 
Um, I, I can't, I can't, I, anytime I have students, that's one of the most important things I impart upon them. And you're right. In the beginning, that's just not something that they're, that they see, uh, because they're not focusing on that. They don't know that they need to focus on it. And that's fine. Walking the path more and more right. gets you to the point where you go, Oh, wow, this was actually really important. I'm glad he taught it to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, with the advent of YouTube, you know, a lot of times you'll hear you don't need a teacher anymore. You yeah. can just go on. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think that that's incorrect, I, I still think the right teacher is better than no teacher. Would you, would you agree? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and another another analogy that I draw is I'm big on therapy. Um, mm-hmm. You can't do divorce law for a long time without going <laughs> yeah, to therapy. Can't even imagine. And there's definitely the right therapist and the wrong therapist for you to go to. So it's, I guess it's it's there's no one size fits all, but there's definitely like you're talking about. You know, you gotta you gotta lay that foundation. So yeah. um, let's go back to the Strat Pack, the guitar lessons, yeah. teaching you to be. Um, what was the word you used? Uh, what was the word? Not snotty. What'd you say? Snobby. Snobby. Thank you. Snobby. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's an interesting concept to me too, because in, you know, I've always approached all this from a fan, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a fan of skateboarding than I am a skateboarder. I'm much Same. more of a fan of <laughs> guitar players than I am a guitar player. I'm much more of a fan of music than I am a musician. So, uh, and I, and I, I, I can really appreciate technically proficient people, but generally I gravitate towards sloppier, punkier. And sometimes that's a really good musician who's doing that on purpose. Other times it's, you know, Johnny Ramone who only knows three chords and like half the strings on his guitar are broken. So, yeah. um, you know, but I, I kind of can go both ways. Like now, and so one of one of the my big, you know, areas that I like a lot is metal and some of the tech techier metal. I just, doesn't do it for me. Um, you know, but then like, I don't know if you know, Nels Klein, like, uh, he's a guitarist for Wilco, but he's been in a bunch of different bands. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. just a wizard and he's in his sixties now, but he's still just a shredder. And, uh, so I love that, but then, you know, give me a couple power chords and, you know, a, a drum set. And I'm, I'm happy as a clam with that too. That's the thing that I missed out on as a, as a teenager and as a, you know, in my twenties, realistically, my early twenties, um, I, I had a teacher who was a jazz person and, and not to, nothing against jazz people, but I think they'll even say themselves, jazz people often, um, elevate their interests to the level of their ability. Right. You know, so if you're not on their level ability wise, they're not even, they're tuning you out. Yeah. And that was kind of what was going on with him. So, so bands like Nirvana, for right. example, um, you know, uh, come as you are, come as you are is, is like one of the most basic guitar licks ever. Right. Period. It's one of the first licks that I teach to my guitar students. And, and I learned because I respected my teacher so much that, that this is not, good music right this didn't require any work to to earn they didn't earn this music they stumbled upon it, that kind of thing right now the thing that i lost in that mentality is that that doesn't mean it's bad music sure furthermore it means that it's not just music it's art right and that was the thing that i missed for a long time i thought that the mechanics of learning music the science over the being, art, yeah. It equated to being an artist, and it doesn't. It equates to being a technician. Right. The 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 
artistic expression that comes from, you know, those raw power chords and that really heavy do, do, da, do, 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 da, and the, and just screaming into a microphone. That's art. It right. really is. It's artistic expression and it should be respected for what it is. Right. Um, for that exact reason. And now as a, you know, 34 year old, I am wishing that I'd learned this 10 years ago. I like to try to marry the two concepts of artistry and, and mechanical, uh, you know, profession proficiency, because I, now I look at music theory and I don't just see it as like a roadmap because that's how I saw it. That's how, that was the analogy I gave students. It was like, music is like a journey that you don't really know where you want to go. Right. And music theory is like the GPS that tells you all of the roads that are options, that tells you all of the roadblocks to avoid, that shows you the scenic route if you want to take the scenic route, or it takes you the direct route if you want to take the direct route. It, it lifts the fog and shows you every option you can have. Now I see it as that, but I don't see that as the end game. Well, so... I, I, as you're talking, I'm kind of I'm kind of building a construct in my head sure. that um, music can be a a a you know a solo sport, or it can be uh, there. It can be a conversation with a listener or another player. But you know, figuring out the value, where is the value in music? Is it in what you're doing or how it's sounding or how it's being received. And um, there was a book that I love and I've not even finished it, but it's called, I think it's called how music works. Mm. David Byrne from the talking heads wrote it. And, you know, I know that there's probably books upon books, upon books, upon databases on this, but about how notes impact your brain and impact, you know, your mood and what notes go together and why they go together, what notes don't go together, you know, and and then talking about that route that you can go on, you know, you can throw this here, minor chord here, and it makes it sound, you know, more of a, you know, a, a sad yeah. song or a, you know, a darker tone versus, you know, all these sorts of things. But I, you know, I, as much as the work that goes into it, the talent that goes into it, the creativity that goes into it, I think equally as important is, how it lands. And so getting back to your Nirvana example, you know, it doesn't matter if you're just plucking in a, an open string. If it, if it, if, if that called for that note, then, then you, you know, less is more, you know, it's exactly talking right. the same with jujitsu, you know, exactly you can right. do some crazy, you know, loop choke circle, blah, 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 or you could just do a single like take down mouth person. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, you don't always have to take the, the hardest road to get there. For, yeah. Furthermore, uh, to e- extrapolate on that, um, more often than not, the most effective, and I say effective because I, I define artistry as the marriage between honest, raw, emotional expression and expressing it in a way that can be received by people who need to connect with it. Right. You know, so, so in that sense, music is most effective when you find that balance between complexity and simplicity. It's true. But then, then also I'm a big fan of music that takes a little bit, you know, I, you know, uh, you can go in any millions of different directions, but the one that for me was uh, the Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, you know, the first couple times I hear them, I was like, I don't even think they're they're playing in the same 
they don't know what the other one's playing. Yeah. Like it's like this guy just <laughs> wrote this guitar part, this guy wrote this bass part, this guy wrote this drum part, and they just laid them all on top of each other. Yeah. But it's like this. I always use the the analogy of those pictures you stare at that are a bunch of dots on the wall, and you stare at it for long enough, and all of a sudden it's a boat. You know, right. music like that. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second. Okay, I got it. And then all of a sudden it's like. So I dig the challenging. Some of the challenging stuff too. Some of it, it sounds like wanking or noodling, and agree more. you know, and, and that that I can't get behind. Mm-hmm. But in any mm-hmm. event, so let's 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 go back. Everlight, Strat yep. Pack, yep. jazz music, snobbery. So this is all in St. Louis, still all in St. Louis. Yeah. Okay, did you guys play live at all? Uh, yeah, we played live. Uh, I hadn't been in a band yet. Um, I didn't. We didn't start that band until you know, after high school ended really. And I started teaching about a year after I started taking lessons. And, uh, I mean, as so you must've picked it up quickly to be teaching lessons a year after you started taking lessons. I don't, I, this is, I don't mean to brag about this, but I am very proud about it. I'm very proud of it. Um, I was in my lesson with my teacher. I was 16 and I was griping about my job at McDonald's because it was my first job. Sure. It was terrible, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, why don't you just teach? And I said, no, I can't, I can't do that. I'm, I've only been taking lessons from you for a year. I've yeah. only been playing for, I haven't even been playing for two years. He's like, you, um, absorbed in six months, about two years worth of college level music theory. That's amazing. You can teach. That's very I cool. I was like, okay. So I, so I got to start teaching at a really young age, which just solidified all of the music theory that I'd learned. And I, I, I feel really uncomfortable even talking about that, frankly, because I don't really like to brag a lot. <laughs> but well, that's one of the things. I think if you're bullshitting, you're bragging. I think if it's what happened, it's you what earned happened, it. Yeah. And so, I mean, why wouldn't you? And that mentality of earning it yeah. just kind of further solidified that kind of snobby mentality that I wish I'd never developed. Well, you know? here's another question I have. And this always seems like a big hurdle for me is, is going from playing in your room or going from playing in a room mm-hmm. to playing for an audience and just figuring out like setting it up, setting up the soundboard, getting the sound right. Like that, that, I guess that's just something, is that something you just figure out as you go or? Well, I can tell you for me. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I just figured, we just figured it out as we went. I, I was, I had stage fright. Yeah. I had major stage fright. So it was really difficult for me to do anything but stand on stage and just look down and strum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was you know, for the first band I was ever in. Um, that was pretty much my role. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I did some singing, and I was pretty bad at singing. What type of music was it? Oh man, it's um, we didn't know how to put a genre on it. it bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll say yeah, that. yeah. A little bit fast. Uh, influences of punk, influences yeah. of like that alternative rock that was popular in the yeah. in the early two thousands, right. Um, that kind of stuff, really. Okay. Um, so how long did that last for? Oh, maybe, uh, at the time it felt like forever, but probably, probably less than two years. Right. And, and then, then what came next? And then Everlight came next. Okay. Um, and that band, we got really lucky. We had a buddy who had parents that, um, made sure that he worked really hard at his job and he, saved all his money and he ended up spending it all on recording equipment and learning how to use it and essentially ended up buying a studio or rather renting a space and creating Creating a studio. studio, Yeah. And he used us as guinea pigs. So we got six months of free recording time just to go in and write and record. Is that out there somewhere? 
Probably. Yeah, yeah. on Bandcamp or, or Spotify or YouTube MySpace, or something. MySpace. MySpace. MySpace, yeah. <laughs> probably on the MySpace. Forgotten, the Forgotten yeah. Platform. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sure. so how long did that go on for? Uh, well, that went on until I moved down here to Florida. Well, what brought you here? Uh, well, we the band had a manager. Okay. And the manager was based here. Okay. And the manager said, I can do more for you if you are in the town where I have my connections. Sure. And so we um, were like, well, we're not getting as much traction here as we'd like to. We're impatient, early 20-year-olds. Um, let's do it. Let's move. Let's leave. We want to go. We like the warm weather, all that stuff. So, right. So we moved down here. That was in December of 2008. Okay. By April of 2009, the band had broken up. The, uh, was there a Yoko Ono involved, or no, was it just a difference of direction? If there of was a Yoko, direction? it was me. You were the Yoko. If there was a Yoko, <laughs> it was me, which is to say that um, I moved down here thinking I had a job lined up, and that job didn't actually exist. Right. I didn't do enough work to really make sure that I had a job lined up. Gotcha. And um, I had a buddy who played cover gigs. Right. And I texted him one night knowing that I had like $300 left in my bank account. And then by the end of the month, I was probably going to have to move back. If we all didn't, I knew I was probably going to have to. And I texted him, hey, what are you doing? He said, oh, I've got a gig, but I'm sick. I said, wow, uh, I'll cover for you. Ha ha, JK. In my little uh, Motorola Razor. Yeah, phone, yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, and <laughs> Blackberry. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even have one yeah. of those. <laughs> and he was, uh, he was like, oh, man, can you cover for me? It'd be great. And I was like, no, I can't cover for you. I don't know four hours worth of material. I barely can sing through an hour with my band. He's like, yeah. no, 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 you'll be fine. It'll be great. They'll love you. They'll probably book you again. Just play the same songs over and over. You'll be fine. I, was like, uh, I don't know. How much does it pay? He, and he told me how much does it pay. I was like, wow, that's more money than I've ever made for playing music ever. Right. And so I did it and then you liked me and they booked me like three more times that month. Wow. And it started to snowball to, to a degree. Um, now that's a whole thing in and of itself. Do you know, do you know John Holt over in St. Pete? He plays in Danfield. He used to play in hip abduction. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he does a lot of that. Uh, when my mom passed away, we had a, like a wake for her at the museum in downtown St. Pete. And I asked him to come play and he said he would. And he's, he said, I'll send you a list. Tell me which songs you want. And it literally, it was like a zillion songs. It was like, how can you, how can you do that? Even if you have a monitor, even if you have something like that seems almost impossible to me, not just from a talent perspective, but just knowing the lyrics to all those songs. Like I don't, you know, how do you explain that? Is it just something you figure out by necessity or um, an extension of muscle memory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you know martial arts at all, you're familiar with muscle. Memory. Yeah. Um, it just turns out that muscle memory can be developed in very specific uh, ways. Like there are times where I'm singing a song and I can't mentally think of the next lyric, but my mouth will just start singing. Oh, it's, I mean, it's like, you know, putting a tie on, you try mm-hmm. and explain someone how to put a tie and you can't do it, but just right. turn around and let me do it. I, you know, so I get that, but I, I was, you know, I was, I, that was some, you know, uh, one of the things that I always fixate on in music is like the, the, the benign mundane mm-hmm. stuff, you know, like, you know why someone has a 
a radio connection to an amp versus a cord or what type of mic someone uses or where they put the mic or how they sit. You know, I'm always, I'm always focusing on like the, the weirder parts of things. So sure. I love, that's why I love having these conversations with people. Cause you can give me an answer as to why that's so. You got to watch it with me, man. Cause I'll, I'll talk forever, especially when it comes to music. <laughs> so I got, I went down this rabbit hole. There's, I've talked about it before. There's a podcast called crash bang boom, which is a drummer's podcast. And it's oh, mostly, it's mostly metal drummers and all this other stuff. But I've learned so much about like how far away you sit from your kit, yeah. what your seat height is, mm-hmm. how you have your symbols angled, type of stretching and breathing you need to do, working on your uh, rudiments, like all this other stuff that I just had no concept of. So I love, I love, I love knowing why the engine works. You the know, why for me from a very young age for everything is so important right for everything right thing that i learned when i was again it's that foundation though it really helps me yeah. process and retain right really right does. right so now you're doing solo gigs uh and that kind of spells the end for everlight oh yeah uh well everlight or everbright everlight everlight okay yeah. yeah um yeah essentially what happened was the other bandmates got into some substances. Yeah, uh, one, of, one of the bandmates got into substances. Okay. And, uh, you know, I couldn't really speak to what happened with the other one. He, uh, was I, it a three piece? It was a, essentially it was a four piece. Okay. Um, and then our drummer who lived here, we actually met when we moved here because our old drummer didn't come with us. Okay. Um, but he, the new drummer, he, you know, he was a bartender and he was like, I'm good. I don't, you know, if I don't have this, well, okay, that sucks, but yeah. I'll play in another band. Right. He's great. Right. He's a nice guy. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, they got into some substances and, and basically I just got to the point where I was like, I, I, I made a rule with them when it came to that stuff. Cause I, I did, you know, a few things here and there. I dabbled. I never got into cocaine. Yeah. I've seen too many guys that played music that were really crazy talented, just yeah. ruin their lives because they got into coke. Right. So I never really got into that. And they did. And I was like, Hey, do your thing. Just, you know, it keep it away from it, me. Yeah. If it doesn't affect the band, I'm cool. Yeah. The second it affects the band, I'm out. Yeah. And that was what I told them. And that's what happened. Well, it's good. You were able to, you know, maintain that boundary because it's easy to set them. It's harder to fall. <laughs> it was excruciating Yeah, because it felt like I was telling my family members that I was never going to talk to them again. Sure. Kind of yeah. Thing. You know, it was, it was, it was very painful process to go through. So now you're in the solo world. Uh, how long did that last for? I'm still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Any bands since, since then though? Um, I started a band, um, called 55 South. Okay. Um, Essentially, it was a band that I just kind of like brought the musicians in and was like, here's the music. This is what we're playing. Because I was like, I'm not doing a democratic band. Ever right, again. right. Not doing it. Right. Um, you know, I tried to pay them what I could and uh, they were great. It went well. Um, what type of music was it? Ooh, well, that was the biggest problem because I had a hard time. I didn't want to write music that could be defined as a, sh- as a genre, sure. which as it turns out, it's like a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any kind of marketability. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it had influences of blues. It had influences of, of rock. Um, but it was much, it was far less rock than Everlight was. Everlight right. was more, it was very like, you know, alternative rock. 55 South, just the name of it is evocative to me of like, a Americana, like alt country type of, was that? It should have been. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the music from it is, uh, I just released it as a solo, uh, but it's on Spotify. It's with my name. 
under your name. Mm-hmm. I'll have yeah. to check it out. Yeah, it's on there. So the solo gigs has that has that been this year? Or is it just completely dropped off, or are you back <laughs> going again? Or I, I'm going again. Yeah. Now. Um. I, I'm. I when it first came back, I struggled with. I struggled with whether or not to start playing again. I struggled with the morality of it. I struggled with the idea that for the first time ever in the music industry, we have to try not to draw too big of a crowd. That's uh, which thank is you the for the most paradoxical conundrum. You were trying to get a contained chaos and make it antiseptic, yeah. and it's. It's it's a it's a mind bender. So I had a plan late summer to do uh, you know Tom DeGeorge from Crowbar. I've had sure. on here a number of times, and he was nice enough to say, "You name a night, if I don't have anything booked, you know, you put on whoever you want to put on." So I, I've always had this dream of like having a podcast fest every year where oh, man. people who have been on the show will play on a card together. And I had everybody committed and it was great. It was looking at it. And then I, as we were getting closer to it and the numbers were going in the wrong direction and a lot of it happens to be punkier music. Sure. And it's like, how do you have a punk show where everybody's standing in a corner, like looking at each other? That's like, awesome. yeah, it just doesn't sound any fun. Um, hold on a second. Okay. Um, you know, so there's a safety perspective of it, but at the same time, it's, you don't want to put on a show if it's not going to be any fun for anybody, you know, because that's just a bummer all around. So how have you found it since you've started doing it again? Um, I, so I made a rule in the beginning that I was only going to take as much work as I needed to pay my bills. Right. That's what I did for a while. Um, now are you still teaching too? Uh, I did for a while. I kind of dropped that kind of dropped off when I started doing, when I started doing my show. Right. Because I realized really quickly that uh, even if it's once a week, um, a live stream show. So yours is you do it live. Uh, we do. We don't always do. Okay. It. We don't always do it live because we just don't have the luxury of, of you know, my, my partner, uh, ben Italis, who owns Lunar View Media uh, LLC, which is uh, an audio video production company, right. mostly video, mostly video production company. Um, he, you know, he does that for a living, and so I can't ever ask him to to forego uh, a paying client, you know, a paying client, yeah. just so he can you know shoot live with me every right. Sunday. Not, and you know, we've also had some scheduling snafus with uh, with artists, and so it kind of worked out that we did some of them. Some, yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, if you look at the show, like uh, I can't, I can't tell you how <laughs> proud I am to be able to work with with Ben. When did you start it? Uh, we started. Uh, I guess technically, it started during COVID because was it because of COVID? It was because of COVID because I started it just on my own on an iPhone in my living room, um, and I was essentially just playing cover songs for. <laughs> my friends sure yeah much. and um using that as a way to supplement my income because they were nice enough to to shoot money into my venmo right. at that time and then i saw um a couple of oh, i saw another one uh dtsp live saved by streaming i saw them take off i was actually uh, i got to work on that project when it first started and uh katie talbert she's amazing she's, she's like one of the most hardworking people i've ever met right. in life um you know, I, I saw what she was doing. I saw that the live stream music world was craving more people because there was no concerts anywhere in the world. And 
et cetera, et cetera. So basically I was like, okay, well, I can do this on my own and can keep playing for five people, 10 people, whatever. Or I can buy some cameras maybe and try to learn that stuff. Did you think early on about the, the, the visual component along Absolutely. with the audio component? Cause I, that's, that's been a thing with me and, and I, I guess it depends on whatever your original conceit is or what your original idea for it was. But, you know, a lot of yeah. people say, well, you should have video, you know, that'll increase your listenership. And I don't, I don't disagree, but that adds a whole other, a lot more work, a lot more work. <laughs> and you got to sync up the video with the audio. And, you know, then people who are coming in, like I always look like a fucking slob and people are like, what should I wear? I was like, I don't give a shit. It's just audio. You come in I naked. If you, asking. Well, yeah, you sure. come in naked. If you want. Yeah. I don't care. Um, you know, but I, my, my entry point with podcasts has never been visual. Like I know a lot of them have that. And like sure. a lot of people watch Joe Rogan and, but for me, it was WTF with Mark Marin. That was the, that, that podcast has been, almost a religion for me. And that's what really got me kind of ingrained in that world. And he's just audio. So that's all I ever, but uh, in any event, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I think that the, I think, and and I'm learning this more and more and it's a daunting thing, but I think the reality is the thing that you want to create, whatever it is, however you want to create it, as long as you own it, there's no real wrong way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm not gonna, I couldn't possibly come into this room. It is a cool room. It's very visually, you know, interesting. You've got a lot of stuff in here, uh, but I could never come in here and be like, dude, where's the camera? Right. You gotta have video. You yeah. Gotta. Yeah. Because the reality is, if if having a camera and not having a camera, you know, whatever works for you works for you. Right. And that's gonna make your show better. Well, so you know, you mentioned some of the stuff in here, and and. Part of my thinking there is it, it can inspire conversation about stuff yeah. that maybe you didn't come to sit down and talk about, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, Ozzy Osbourne or Stanley Kubrick or, yeah. you know, Patrick Swayze. You got you got little little touchstones around that can kind of send your conversation in different directions. Totally. So it, it, conceptually, what was your thinking with your show? Was it was it? going to be to introduce people to music, introduce people to your music, just... Well, so I realized very quickly and, uh, you know, I realized that basically um, I didn't, I knew this already, but I was like, I'm, if I want this to be bigger than just me sitting in my living room, I have to, I, it can't just be me performing. Right. It may not be me performing at all. Um, and so I start, so I started kind of like testing, testing the waters and I was like, okay, um, I, I would do a live stream where it was just me on, in my, in my living room on my phone, but I would start like, you know, trying to, to do like current events style right. stuff. Like I, I created like these like segments and basically did at first, at first I did it with two hours. And, and the idea was that like half the show was going to be me like doing it like daily show. Type sure. Thing. It's a lot of pressure to it's, put on yourself. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Way too long. No well, that's the other thing is attention spans, you know. Attention spans, especially. Yeah. So so I was like, okay, two hours is too long. That's not going to work. The segment thing doesn't work because I'm all alone. And that kind of stuff really requires like graphics and cool stuff. And, and I didn't have that. So right. I was like, okay, nix that. All of that's gone. All right. The answer to this then maybe is me being a show host and inviting friends on like like a podcast right, basically. But right. I didn't even think of it like a podcast. Sure, yeah. Because <laughs> that would have been way easier. Yeah. <laughs> as far as like because I wouldn't have had to do the camera thing. Like right, I said. right. 
Um, so I brought on a couple of friends in my living room, set up some mics. We did the whole thing. And then I realized, okay, well, more people means more tech. It's more stuff I have to do in addition to being a host. So I was like, okay, at this point, this is not something I can do on my own. Right. I can't do it alone. Right. Or if I try to do it alone, it's not going to be nearly as good as it probably could be. Right. So I started thinking, okay, well, how can I hire that kind of thing? And then I, I've known Ben Vitalis for, you know, 10 plus years. Right. He's a great guy. And I knew that he was like starting to venture into the live stream thing and he had the right tech for it. His interviews got like, I don't know. I think he told me one time like 90K worth of like a uh, mostly video equipment. Right. And I had the audio equipment. I have a home studio, that kind of stuff. And so I, I was like, you know, whatever, shot in the dark. So I got in touch with him on Facebook. I did this. I don't know why I did the hand okay. phone thing. We're, we're... But I got in touch with him on Facebook. Yeah. He said, okay, let's have lunch. So we had lunch and we talked about it. I told him what the concept was. I said, so basically it's the only um, hosted music talk show in the Tampa Bay area. Right. There's nothing else like it. So in that sense, we're first. Um, or at least we're, we're the only, we stand alone. And if we do it on this level that I know that he was capable of, I was like, if we do this on this level that you, that I know that you're obviously going to be able to do it on. I think that we're going to have an edge over anything else in town. Right. And he was like, yeah, okay. We could try a couple of these and see how it goes. And what I didn't know is he was vetting me, uh, at the time to a degree because, you know, most people, when they come to you with a grandiose idea, they don't, I don't know if you're full of shit or not. Yeah, they, they might. You might yeah. be full of shit, or you you might not want to do the work that it takes to do it. And when you realize how much work there is, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. You know? But that's not me. Like when I you, you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Well, it's if I yes for starters, but also it's like if I if I see something that I think has potential, man, I I, I sink my teeth in. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, if I work my ass off with this thing and it doesn't work. I at least can say I worked my ass off and it didn't work, not because of my lack of effort. Then that's an important, that's an important um, consideration. And that's something that as I've gotten older, I've, I've held on to is, you know, I, I, I love, I'm the least athletically, like, I, I don't give a shit about sports, but I use tons of sports analogies. I don't know why that is. <laughs> but I always ta- I always had this kind of leave it all on the field concept. If I fail miserably, but I know that there's not a single thing I could have done more to try and get to that goal, it's a lot easier for me to sleep at night than to have failed because I half-assed it or, or something else. So, yeah. I, I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, one of the things I want to talk with you about, and, and this is one of the things that kind of wasn't the original concept with my show, but is this show for me has been a portal that has uh, introduced the local music scene to me or the concept of a local music scene to me. Uh, My music snobbery came in a different way. It wasn't technical, but if it wasn't you know, international, national act, I really didn't know about it. And I thought, well, if it was local, it can't be as good as whatever else. And that's a common perception. And, uh, you know, my buddy, uh, Greg, who's a, sings for Wolfface over there. I'm, 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 he's, he's an attorney. And so he's got an alter ego. He doesn't like, he doesn't like to be, (laughs) he doesn't like people to know that's him, but, um, he was kind of what set me down this path. We had a lunch with each other and I thought I was just having a, 
lunch with a younger attorney who, you know, you know, when I left the state attorney's office, I went with attorneys and I was like, you know, what do I do and how do I do all this? And, and so as I've, you know, getting close to the 20 year mark, now I have, you know, people coming out and they're saying, you know, you know, what did you do about your website? Whatever. So I thought, I thought I was just meeting with a younger attorney, talk business, whatever. And halfway through the conversation, he drops it on me. He's like, yeah, so I have this thing that I do and it's this band and, you know, it's pretty popular. We put a couple albums out and, uh, you know, there's a label in Germany that wants us to come tour over there. And I was like, the whole dynamic of the converse, like it went from me being the, you know, the, the mentor to all of sure. a sudden me being the fanboy. And I was like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me front law. I don't want to talk about that. Tell right. me about this. Like, where do you play? Tell me about your albums, all this stuff. And for like a couple months after that, like I wouldn't fucking leave them alone. I should, sure. but so the, the idea of I can do something other than, run child sport guidelines all the time, you know, that was more artistic and spoke to things that I enjoyed music, skateboarding, all these other things, you know, it's, so it sent me down that path, but in the beginning it was like, I don't fucking know anybody. I know you and that's about it. And so, uh, I knew Ray from creative loafing because I've done some legal work for them before. Like if they need information on a case or something, I kind of, cool. and so I talked to Ray and he's like, well, you should talk to Dave Decker and, and, you know, you know, Dave's, you know, Dave, I've heard the name. I've so he's a photographer for creative loafing. He's mm -hmm. got a band, big sad, big sad, but he's, gotcha. he's had a bunch of, he had a band called Clermel and he's from this area. I don't know if you're aware of Clermel at all, mm -hmm. but it's over there by kind of on the way to Brandon, which has turned out to be this weird Mecca of just bizarre musicians and artists and, and everything. So anyways, it, it became this domino effect and it's like, okay, well I, now I know this person and, Sean Kyle, I met through a buddy of mine. We were at Four Green Fields, and I, I, <laughs> I, I told this story jokingly in the bio that I wrote up for him. But my buddy Gio and I were sitting there eating a scotch egg or whatever those things are. And I swear to God, he was like out of a movie. Like anybody who knows Sean, he's like from another time. Like he's got like riding goggles on and like a scarf and gloves. And he looks like he came out of a Vanity Fair picture or something. And then he sits down and starts talking to us. And so. I've gotten to know all these people and then Tom and it's just this domino effect. And now I have all these people that I've met and all this music that I've been introduced, you know, the guys from have gun will travel and all these different, you know, uh, Elliot from, you know, vacancy and read all these different people. And it's such a broad spectrum of music. Keith over here at Microgroove and his new Granada label that's put out some puts, puts out a bunch of music. And it's such a rich, rich, rich scene here. And I, I love it. Like now, when I'm on Spotify, I'm not listening to, you know, whomever it's, it's local bands and it's, you know, and I love it as much, if not more than everything else, because I can put faces with it. And I know these people and I know their stories. So again, we're, we're starting out in a different spot from you in, in some ways that align because it's, especially because of COVID. Now, I started before COVID, but people are so starved for content, music, for live music, for performance. Yeah. And so, you know, I can only imagine how that's really kind of, you know, blossomed in, in what you're doing. I, I can't, uh, I can't say this enough. Uh, yes. A hundred times. Yes. Uh, in everything you're saying, honestly, um, I really believe that we live in a city in an area, you know, in the Bay Area, where there is so much talent, so much talent, not just there's not just performance talent. There's not just, uh, you know, songwriting talent. 
Um, but just overarching, like overall, uh, there there is enough talent in this city that this city should be a Nashville city, size. Nashville and L.A., yeah. Miami, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so there and there are a handful of other people in this city that believe that, too, and that are actually like working towards that. I've, I've had I've heard bits and pieces of conversations in that regard. And, and man, if COVID didn't fucking slam the brakes on it. But I'm hoping yeah. I had this I had this faith that music slash art has survived worse storms than this. Certainly. And so, you know, despite best efforts, it's going to, you know, find a way. But uh do you know Pat Clemowish? No. So Pat Clemowish, he was a guitarist for the hip abduction. Uh okay. he plays in Danville with John Holt. He's also a uh, Harvard educated doctor, paddleboard champion, fluent <laughs> in Portuguese, plays wow. the Kambala, Nagmoni, plays all these. He's, he, if you want to hate yourself, hang yeah. out with Pat. like <laughs> he's amazing at a million things that I'm like shitty at 10. Yeah. But, um, he, he's interesting because first off, one of the smarter people you'll ever run into, like um, he's, super educated. His dad's a doctor now. They're, they're both doctors. But so he said the ability to travel a lot. And he was on the podcast uh, early. We, we grew up, went to high school together, but didn't really know each other. But uh, I digress. The point that I'm getting to is he talks about the importance of deltas in music. Yeah. So the, 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 the landmass of a delta where there is a convergence of pathways from different areas that bring together styles that bring together. And you can see it in South America. You can see it in the Southern United States. You can see it in Africa and all these other places that these meeting points for Mm -hmm. divergent styles or divergent points of origin create something completely original or, or new. And so while the Tampa Bay area isn't really a Delta, it, it shares a lot of, uh, the same principles, whether it's cultural. I mean, you've got a big Spanish Latino contingent, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a big Southern contingent. So you have some, some, you know, country types of, of origins. There's an urban. So there's a lot of the rap and that sort of stuff. And then, I mean, obviously near and near to my heart, you have more sound, which, you know, created death metal effectively Man, I'm dying to go and record in that space. I'm dying to get those guys so to come cool. on the show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so anyways, uh, it, 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 it either by design or just by happenstance has become kind of this multifaceted meeting point mm-hmm. of so much, you know, reggae, like just all this stuff. And, it, you know, it's all right here and it's amazing. Yeah. Well-written music. Uh, who's the guy? I'm going to draw a blank. Will Quinlan. You know Will oh, Quinlan? Oh, yeah. He's familiar with Will. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been around for quite a while. And I started listening to his stuff. And, uh, it, I mean, it's amazing to me that he's not the biggest name out there just listening to, to that music. So, anyway, about your show. So, um, you started in February, March? Oh, no. We got, we got started. Um, I started doing the live stream thing probably back in, uh, I think the first one was either... April or May. Okay. And then, um, but that wasn't what it is now. Okay. What it is now actually started in September. So what is it now? Now it's the Sunday session. And tell, tell, tell people who maybe aren't familiar with what it is. Um, it's the only, um, it's the only live stream music talk show, um, in the Tampa Bay area that features local, 
um, really spectacular uh, writers, performers, um, all of that. So people go on the um, Facebook page to watch it? That's or right. Okay. Yeah, it's on the Facebook page. And, and you can watch it in real time or you can go back and watch old episodes? Right. Okay. Yeah. Funny thing about live streaming that I've learned is that, um, you know, it's not like TV where it's like, you know, a broadcast and then it's gone. Yeah. And they, and they can't watch it anywhere. Sure. Right? Whereas, you know, live stream, it's like essentially the live stream is just kind of like a boost for any video. It's just a launch. Just it's an initial, it's, launch, it's an yeah. IPO. It's an initial yeah. offering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, it's yeah. funny how much our lives used to be scheduled by TV. Boy, oh boy. Like yeah. Thursday night at eight o'clock, you had to be at home because Seinfeld or Cheers or whatever the thing was, yeah. you know, and now it's like, you know, yeah. I couldn't tell you what time anything is on or what channel anything is on. Because you, you know? don't need to know anything. Right, right, you right. Just watch it whenever you want. That's amazing. So how many episodes, do you call them episodes yeah, or yeah. how many episodes are you in? We have done 16 so okay. far. Is it one a week or what's it the... one a week. Okay. We're on hiatus right now. Okay. Um, we're, we're essentially, we're going to retool and rebrand a little bit. I saw there was a finale Yes. on your thing. And I was like, well, that's interesting because yeah. I've, I've kind of tried to think about for me, am I just going to keep doing it? Or like at some point, my first producer is like, you need to like kind of cap off your first season or your first volume and go to volume. So I was like, does that, does that matter? Is that a thing? Or I don't, I don't know, but sure. I'd be interested. What was your thinking behind that? Well, was I'm it too retool? Uh, yeah, essentially okay. it's to rebrand retool. We're going to do a different name. We're going to, are you really? Yeah. We're going to do a different name. We're not going to do it on Sundays anymore. Okay. Um, we, we did a little bit of, uh, polling and, and asking our viewers, you know, what, when essentially what day they're most likely to watch. And most of them said Wednesday. So that's really probably the day we're leaning towards, uh, switching to. Um, and you know, the show is called the Sunday sesh. So right. <laughs> we changed the day. We got the Sunday sesh on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really, uh, doesn't do you know what you're well. going to name it yet? Uh, we have a bunch of ideas. Okay. We have more ideas than we have names that we like. Right. 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 <laughs> um, I mean, we, we've done, we've thought of everything between like, you know, sound minds and, and codify and, and band content, but like band is like, B-A-N-D, and like put it on like a parental advisory style uh, logo, you know, band content. Right, right, right. So it's hard to say what it's going to end up being. It's funny because, you know, Barely Legal for me was, uh, it was a Ali G uh, joke. Yeah. Uh, either, uh, you know, being an attorney, it was like, well, I'm an attorney. And early on I was interviewing a bunch of attorneys and judges, but the more artists I got in, I was like, okay, this is the way I want to yeah. go. So it's like, <laughs> I was curious about that. That's well, funny. so part of it was, so there's, a, there's, we, uh, when I, like the year after I got married to my wife, we went to France and uh, Italy and it was her and her brother and her sister and a friend. And at that time it was, 2006, 2007, Ali G was really big. And I remember there was uh, a skit and I've told the story before, but he's, he's, he's uh, interviewing the attorney general. If you know that show, like they never know, they don't know that he's fucking with them. That's the thing. And so he starts, he's like, well, what is legal? And he starts defining what's legal, what's illegal. And he goes, what's barely legal. And the guy starts defining is, well, I saw this movie barely legal in the screen, you know, and he starts (laughs) going to this whole thing. And so it's always an inside joke to me, but there's like literally people who won't come on the show because of the name of it, because they think it's like some weird. Oh, that's funny. Porn deal. Yeah. Yeah, And like, I have t-shirts. I'm out of them now. I'll have to get you one. But I, I, 
I've had people who say okay, people stopped me in the at the in the line at Publix and were like, "What's that?" Sh-? You know, I was like, "Well, shit, <laughs> was that a bad idea?" And you know, yeah. and with that, my wife. So my wife is my conscience. My wife's always the one who pulls me back from sure. the edge. Like I always, you know, how like a lot of these shows, like they name their their listener or something. I, ha- I right. wanted so badly to call them potophiles. And my wife was like, do not do that. Do Pot not do, do not call them potophiles. <laughs> That's the worst thing. She's like, you're going too far. So one thing we're <laughs> learning, uh, me and Ben are yeah. learning about this whole thing. Cause the thing about Ben too, not to dive too far into a digression, but, but he has a background in broadcast television. So like, he doesn't just have this gear. He's been working. He knows what works on the other side of the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah. Uh, but so this new project is like new territory for him too. Because right. It's the first time he's, he's doing this, not in a broadcast television setting. So he's learning much stuff too. So the funny thing about it is that we're like, well, we're the first ones to do this in town. And like, as the weeks went by, so like when I, when I first started and I joined forces with him, so to speak, right. I was like, this is it. Our first episode, we're going to go viral. It's going to be crazy. Whole city's going to love us. Yeah. That, nope. Yeah. Did not happen. <laughs> well, not only that, but... And Did, it, didn't happen. Do you know how to track it? Like, I still don't know how to track it. Ish. I'm learning. Because, like, Buzzsprout will say, you've got... 10,000 downloads. I was like, okay. That's great. But YouTube says this, but is that the same person? Right. And then Spotify says this, and it's like, well, does one person clicking register on all these things? So, people are like, how many listens? Like, I couldn't tell you if it was five people, if it was 50 people or what. Well, the nice thing about the live streams is that we get You can see in real time. Yeah. Well, not just that. Like, there's, you know, the metrics are, you know, three-second viewers, 10-second viewers. Oh, wow. So, you get into it. Yeah, we can really see that. the one overarching thing we've learned about, you know, live streaming on a social media platform is that one, people are consuming this content on their phones. Yeah. And two, because of the fact that they're streaming this content, they're consuming it on their phones. They're not sticking around for the whole thing. Right. They're just not. Right. And that's okay. That's the thing we're learning. It's okay if they don't stick around for right. the whole thing. Right. Because again, if we essentially, if we do it right, we'll get them to come back and watch the rest of it. And that's what's been happening. We've seen that over and over again. Yeah, return viewers. Like, is there a way to track that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the great thing for me is I don't give a shit. Like, you know, I just put it out there and people listen to it or they don't. I don't make any money off of it. I don't make people pay for it. And so... It's, it's what it is. You know, I was like, I've, 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 you know, gone to a restaurant before and seen someone wearing one of the shirts that I was like, cool. that's fucking rad. Or that's like cool. someone will reach out to me like you and said, Hey, you know, I've, you know, and yeah. that, that's, that makes me feel amazing, you know? Good. So, um, as far as booking, how, how yeah. have you found that to be? Cause I, there's kind of an ebb and a flow with me. Like sometimes I worry, like, am I going to be able to find anybody else that anybody's going to care about to come on? Then like the next week, there'll be like six people who I either didn't even know to ask or never thought would agree to do it. That would come on. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is great. So I'm always kind of like feast or famine on who I can get on. So many facets of this show have made me do things that I've never done before that I never even thought I would want to do before. And one of those aspects is booking. And, um, the things that I learned about booking are the things that I learned from booking myself right. in places, which is to well, say, so you had a background to at least conceptually understand for, for certain myself, considerations. But yeah. Definitely not for other people. 
Well, especially with you, because you have people coming on and playing. So you got to figure right. out like getting equipment there. And I you have to have to. more than one person who can do something. Like me, it's just one person. Yeah. But you, if you got to have a band, it's like, you know, well, lining up everybody's audio. schedules. I'm the guy running audio in yeah. addition to being the host. So yeah. I'm also the guy behind the scenes taking, doing most of the, not most of, but doing a good portion of the photography. Right. Um, while my partner, Ben, is he's he's running the board. He's not running the board. He's running the switcher. You're right. Like video. He's running all the video. And, his, and our agreement is I handle the audio, he handles the video, and uh, I handle, you know, bringing most of the content stuff. Obviously, we talk about everything to like... But it's, you're not paying these people to come on, are you? No. Okay, yeah. No, nobody's making any money on our show. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a marketing piece for everybody, though. That's what we've kind of decided it was going to be. And, and here's where it made sense for me in, in a weird way, and is it became a Trojan horse for me because... Mm-hmm. Anytime I bring someone on, the people who are interested in them meet me. That's me. And that may not have been another way for me to meet that person. Right. And so at some point along the way, I might mention that I'm going to search or something. And then that person's like, oh, I need a divorce call them. So that's <laughs> kind of the, the marketing side of it. Although I really don't even sure. care. That's, that's, let me say it's been a nice side, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, side hustle. Uh, yeah, side hustle or a, uh, symptom of this show, but not one oh, that I, I see. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I don't care, you know, about, I, I so much more appreciate just meeting people like you, but that has been a side benefit to it. That's um, awesome. so, uh, how do you, how are you reaching out to these people? Are these all so far just people that you've known or Luckily, it's mostly people that I either know or that I have a connection to through another friend. Cause it's like you said, like once you start traveling in these circles, they're not terribly big circles. Right. So if you're not an asshole yeah. and people, um, uh, you know, you see that you're working on something that, might turn into something cool. They, they especially right now be part of it. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, you know, flipping the whole COVID deal on its head. I mean, making the most of it, you know, you're giving people a, 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 a conduit, a vessel to mm-hmm. get their stuff out to people where they don't have it anywhere. Else. That was my mentality. And right. like when our, when our bands come on, I say our bands, when the bands come on our show, right. um, you know, we shoot this episode, we shoot a bunch of photos, um, we record all the audio, obviously, and like the whole episode's recorded in HD. And then we take that and we chop it into, like, I, I take it and I chop it into individual clips, which is another thing I learned how to do, video editing. Yeah, <laughs> I knew how yeah, to do that before, yeah. but I learned Premiere, so right. that's fine. Um, and uh, I put it in a Dropbox folder. I haven't, like, actively, like, given it to all of them yet. The idea is that we want to... I want to post some content and have it for ourselves first because it's our content right. first. And then, then it's theirs. Uh, Mike Mass, uh, if you know him, hip hop, uh, yeah. wave theory. Um, yeah. He came on the show and we got to do that episode of Crowbar. And, and that was how I really got, like I'd met Tom before we, we had met before I played a show at his, uh, at Crowbar before. Right. This was years ago. Sure. No way he remembered me. Funny. Uh, well, never mind. I'll, I'll talk about that later, but we got to do that episode and, um, you know, afterwards, uh, it looked phenomenal. I'm so, I'll, say, I'll probably say this a dozen times. I can't thank my friend Ben for being part of That's this. That's great. Because yeah. he has all the skills to make it look professional. Right. Like I'm the host and I, I worked for, and I'm still working very hard to be an effective, be a good, you know, host. Right. Um, and I feel like, okay, so that's my biggest contribution to this thing is, is knowing the people to book, being able to, you know, have an idea of what content we need to have in there. In format 
and uh, handling all of the promotional side of stuff, like right. social media and all that stuff. But, you know, Mike got in touch with me afterwards. He was like, hey, man, can you send me the, the clip of the interview? Because I want to use it for my press kit. He's like, that's great. That's a great idea. Because, you know, you send out a press kit, an EPK. Sometimes they don't just want to hear you play. Sometimes they want to know if you're an asshole. Or not. Right, right. And if they get to, if you have a thing that lets people get to know you, which he did a great interview. He was excellent. Um, it's funny, you know, that's, that's another thing too, is not all guests are created equal. And, true. you know, I've had, I've, I've had, <laughs> I get a lot of unsolicited criticism, but I try and take it to heart and, <laughs> you know, you should do. <laughs> well, you know, what, when I friends like, you got to stop talking as much about yourself and let the guest talk. And so I told that too. I try and pull back, but sometimes I'm looking at a guest and they're just staring at me like a dare in the headlights. I was like, well, someone's got to talk. It's either going to be me or it's going to be you. And so one of the things that I started doing early on is I started doing pre-interviews. So I'll have a, I'll have a phone conversation or a FaceTime Zoom conversation, whatever. And I have like a, I've developed like a document of like, you Ten know, questions that somewhat. Yeah, uh, the the questions kind of come pretty easily at this point. Basically, my thought process is okay. These are local acts, and I want people to care about local acts. Right. So if they don't know who these who this band is, especially if they're like a songwriter band or something like that, like Sean. Sean was on my show too, and I'm like, okay, well, I need to give people who don't know who Sean is a reason to care about who Sean is. Right. And I need him to tell them that. So I ask questions that kind of lead that direction. You know, who are you? Where have you? Where have you been? What have you done? That kind of stuff. Um, and then you know, you go for the the content, uh, not content, the uh, the viewership helping questions, which are like, you know, the band that we just had, Nightbreakers, which are incredible, by the way. They're ridiculous, right. and they're like early, early twenties, like right. early, really young guys. And they're fantastic. Uh, during the interview, I asked them, uh, you know, who gets the most girls? And they're all like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like squirm at yeah. that question because they're young and their their audience likes questions like that. Sure. They want to know that. Yeah. yeah. Inquiring yeah. minds want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Do you have, and you don't have to say who it is sure. because, you like know, a I'm favorite? a favorite. Well, favorite or bucket list that you haven't. Oh, I a uh, bucket list that I haven't? Oh, yeah. God, it's a mile long. Yeah. There's so many people in the sound. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, you already mentioned one of them, Have Gun Will Travel. I would love to have come to have Have Gun Will Travel on the show. Um, uh, Alex Harris, who's like big in the, the R&B world. He's phenomenal. Uh, Ari Chi, she's also in the, in that same circle. Um, Ella Jett, Honey What? Um, actually I have them all written down in my phone yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, yeah, man, I, the, my main criteria really for guests on the show, and this is actually going to change going forward too, because we're going to start um, having, we're going to start featuring more bands and acts that don't have much of a following at all. Right. And we're going to pre-record that content and then air it on the show and air it as ancillary content on the social media as well. And then again, those, those bands and those acts that don't have that content, they can't afford to pay someone to do it. Now they have it. Now they have it. Right. You know, and essentially my biggest overarching goal is something that you just said a little while ago, actually was the fact that, you know, a lot of people, especially in the Tampa Bay area, they, they think of bands and they think of music and they think of national, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a normal thing because the national people have the money for promotion. It's low hanging fruit too. It's, it's right there. You it's can right there. It's easy to grab. Right. Yeah. The, you know, how many radio stations do we have in this town? And 
all of them, almost all of them feature absolutely nothing but, uh, you know, major label national act music. Uh, and partially it's because they're owned by, you know, Clear Channel, iHeartRadio, I guess Clear Channel doesn't exist anymore, but, but iHeartRadio, CBS, Cox Media. Right. You know, they're owned by the big ones and the big ones, they like to have consistency in programming in all of their stations. So this, this leads me to two different topics. One sure. is, uh, well, I'll start with, do you know Aaron Marco? Mm-hmm. All right. So he and I always have this conversation. I don't remember him in person, but we always have this kind of argument on uh, <laughs> Facebook about Spotify. And uh-huh. I think Spotify for for big bands is horrible. I think Spotify for local bands is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I have constantly tried to get friends who are on Bandcamp to get their stuff on Spotify because functionally, it's so much easier to share it or to introduce people to it. And uh my bu- buddy Ade, he's got this band Black Clash. They're another young band, a uh, punk band. He's just six foot six black guy who they sound like the Cro-Mags or Black Flag or something. Huh. And they're just, there's, you talk about raw talent. They have so much fire in their belly, but they're kids. That's awesome. But they sound amazing. Uh, and I was like, please put, please put your stuff on Spotify. Yeah. And then my buddy Greg from Wolfface, he had this, uh, hardcore band in the early 2000s from Clearwater called Next Season. Mm-hmm. And it was a Star Wars themed hardcore band. <laughs> and I listened to it and it was all on Bandcamp. I listened to it. It's like, this is fucking amazing. I love this. And so, uh, Michael Sinclair, who produced is this show um he got it all on spotify and then um elliot mayo who sings for vacancy and wreath he had this early band escapist and they were they weren't anywhere he's like i don't even think we have this is where it gets outside we don't have the mp3s or we don't have the whatever the original recording file is that makes it so you can Mm -hmm. outside my my pay grade but uh mike was able to figure out a way to to capture it and put it on spotify And, and so I love it as a vehicle for these local bands because as much as they screw artists out of money and they want to renegotiate for pennies on the dollar and that sucks for the Foo Fighters or even mid-level or whomever, for Black Clash, they're not going to get paid for that music. No one's buying that album right now, but you can give it to a Tom DeGeorge or you can give it to a whomever and say, listen to these guys. These guys are fucking great. Have them come play. And so that's why that's why I think it's good. So that was part one. And part two was uh, Devin Brady, who I, I, I don't I still can't put all the people. I've talked about this with Sean Kyle. I don't know. I, I'm just entering into this world. So I don't know who knows each other. I'm doing the same. Well, yeah. So some people are like, yeah, I grew up with them. And then other <laughs> people are like, I don't have any fucking clue who that is. But Devin Brady, who's a musician, but he's also a part of this art to art. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. They're called the Crab Devils. But they're this art movement here who are opening this huge thing in Ybor Heights called the Peninsularium, which is this uh multimedia art installation that's all these semi trucks and there's music and there's breweries and there's it's this big fucking thing that they're about to open but anyway he's like he's like i have this idea and you can have it if you want it but basically it's a local spotify and you go around and you sell it to all the restaurants so they don't have to pay this crazy spotify rate to play oh yeah but it's just local bands so you go into the hub or whatever that's and it's just phenomenal it's just playing local bands that's phenomenal and i think that's a fucking killer idea see i i came up with i can't say i came up with an idea but i took an idea that that uh, another uh very talented singer and songwriter shelby soul posted on facebook she was like why don't 
why don't bands cover each other's music? Why aren't we covering each other's music? I love covers. It's my favorite. And I took that and I said, well, hang on. Whoa, that actually could be something really important. So I created this Facebook group called the uh, Tampa Bay Music Scene Cultivators. Okay. And the idea behind it is that it's only musicians and songwriters specifically. Uh, I shouldn't say that. That's not true. Um, it's only musicians. And I, I was, I'm hoping that it becomes like essentially like 50 50 between people that play like, you know, cover music and things like that, which is something that I do. And people that write that, you know, write their own music and don't play those cover shows, uh, but need as much publicity as they can get, especially right now. Right. Because, and so it occurred to me that like basically, okay, there are, hundreds of guys like me guys and girls like me that play in the cover scene mm -hmm. and the cover scene is really interesting because some of the I, I know people that maybe not right now but before covid they were playing you know two gigs a day five days a week for three four hour gigs at a time right which is a crazy amount of time to be performing yeah and they're and they're all local and they're all you know staying local for the most part so i thought what a, wouldn't it be cool if someone created a space where the people that write local music that are incredible, that are really ridiculously talented, went and communicated with the people who are also ridiculously talented people, but they're mostly playing cover music in bars because the people that are playing that cover music in bars, like I said, they're performing way more frequently than the people that are writing that music, you know, the, like, um, you know, uh, let's see. So like, you know, Wolfface, how often would you say they perform before COVID? before COVID? I would say every other month, every other month. Yeah. Okay, and so, then a couple yeah. festivals, maybe. Right. So imagine if someone took, you know, a Wolfface song, like sit like me, you know, I've got a gig tonight. Yeah. And so I took a Wolfface song and I covered it and I say, Hey, this is a Wolfface song. Yeah. I listen to them. Right. The local band. Right. And essentially what it would end up being is that the, the people that do cover music would still be playing covers, but they'd be playing local covers, Yeah, which would, I think I, I maybe overly ideal, uh, I, uh, overly utopian, but, um, I think that what, you know, people, when they hear new music, they don't seek it out for the most part. There's, there's plenty of people that do. Oh, the accidental people, find is like huge. Said, yeah. Hanging fruit. You know? Yeah. So, if, and where are people, you know, discovering music, you know, statistically, well, they're discovering it on the radio. They're discovering it on Spotify playlists, which is another thing um, my show is going to start doing, by the way. Um, they, so the radio, Spotify playlists, um, in the licensed in movies and television, they discover music that way, uh, commercials, things like that. That's a huge way that people discover music, but also in public spaces where music is playing. Right. And especially if a, if a person, I can't tell you how many times as a cover artist, uh, I've had someone come up to me like, oh, who's that? Who's that band? Who's that? Right. Who's that? Sometimes it's my own stuff. Yeah. Luckily, I, I feel really proud of that fact. But, you know, so if, if I can turn that into a way that takes the cover artists and makes them champions of the local music scene. Right. And they don't even have to play nothing but, you know, you know, local cover music, but 
throw one in, sprinkle it around. In. Yeah. Well, it's like Sean was saying. He said he he's been playing these gigs so much lately that he fe- he feels like he's at the peak of his powers right now from playing. Like, yeah. you know, he's he really in his in the pocket. Practice. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that. No, I love I love you know I remember when uh, mashups were like a big thing. I used to fucking love those. Like he mm-hmm. mixed P Diddy with David Bowie. I was like, this is the best thing ever. But you couldn't go anywhere and. Right. Listen to it because right. of licensing reasons. And then so covers kind of in that same vein, like I, I have a playlist on Spotify that I just it's all covers and I, I, I love it and I share it and I add to it. And it's 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 a. Uh, it's kind of a way of being able to do it. But even at that, it's hard to peer covers because if you don't have licensing, a lot of them won't let you play it. So, but I know, I, I think that that would be, that would be amazing. If we put, if we put, um, especially if you had disparate acts, like a, yeah. a folky person doing a metal thing or right. a blah, 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 you know, where you right. kind of a different take on it. Yeah. That would be huge. I mean, if, if a person, I think that perception is so important when it comes to discovering music. So like for, you know, so the fact that, you know, if I'm in a bar and I'm playing Tennessee whiskey right? and then I finish playing Tennessee whiskey and I start playing Teenage Fight Song by yeah. Sean Kyle, yeah. I'm putting those two songs next to each other, literally, so they can, so that the one can be associated with the other in terms of elevation. Well, it's true. You're playing you know? the crowd. You're pulling the strings. I'm I playing mean, the crowd. And as far as they're concerned, all songs are created equal. Right. So if they have that perception of that song the first time they hear it and then they go look for it. They're going to maintain that perception and then they're going to love it even more. Right. It's not a famous, you know, enormous, like multimillionaire uh, songwriter. It's, right. it's a local guy who is still extremely talented and uh, they can come and see him perform as well for, you know, whenever they want to, essentially. Are you familiar with the Azuts Christmas show at Crowbar? Yeah. So this year they're doing it January 9th. They didn't do it before. Yeah. So that's coming up. But that, that, that's, that's the embodiment of, I mean, it's like 30 yeah. musicians tagging in, tagging out. Yeah. All covers. And, uh, I think they introduced me to Warren Zevon's Lawyers, Guns, and Money, wow. which is now one of my favorite songs. Um, so, you know, it, it was that kind of thing is, you know, it, it leads you to, to different wells that you wouldn't drink from normally. Sure. Um, have you written, been writing at all during COVID? Oh, yeah. So, uh, so, so you've been creating your own. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of ballads. <laughs> is that, is that going to see the light of day? Any plans as far as that goes? Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely, um, so Sean Kyle, the way I know him is because I recorded a project with him two years ago that, um, I crowdfunded. That was really, you know, some people were really nice and helped me get it paid for and, I never released it because basically my life went in a really crazy, difficult direction and it got shelved and and my voice suffered and a number of reasons. But, but basically, you know, I I actually had lunch with Sean the other day and he was like, yeah, we need to go ahead and just finish your project and put it out there. Not doing anybody good sitting on the show. Not doing anybody any good there. And then on top of that, I've been writing a lot more since then. And so I, I'm actually thinking about releasing two different projects and one of them under kind of an alter ego kind of a name. Very cool. And, uh, you know, the stuff that I did with Sean is very heavily, you know, country, um, a little bit of folky Americana, but, you know, very country, uh, I've been killing uh, Ryan Adams' new album this last week and feeling super guilty about it. Like, I don't know. 
mm-hmm. how to feel about it's got it. some country influence. Well, no, I mean the whole uh, what's this? What, what's who's the Brady Carlisle or who is the, the girl that accused him of all this stuff? And oh, I don't know anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He got deep. The, the album was supposed to come out like a year ago, and this wow. is when it came out that he was like emotionally abusive to his wife and it used his position to like kind of leverage wow. relationships with female singers. And I mean, he, he got lit on fire. And so wow. it's that Woody Allen thing. It was like, you know, I love your movies, but you're a scumbag. <laughs> like, how do I, what do I do? Do I put the art over the person or do I just kind of write them off? So, but it, it, similarly, he, he recorded that album like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And he finally was just like, I'm just going to put it out. And it's a great album, but it's like, you know, kills me. So, yeah. Anyway, um, well, what's very clear to me is I could probably have you on about three more shows and we could, you know. I'm a talker, man. Well, we didn't even talk about <laughs> jujitsu. We didn't even talk about the acts that you had. So, do you train still or? I don't. I okay. Don't. Um, I, man, I did, I did martial arts all of my life. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, when I was, God, I had to be younger than 10 years old and I started, you know, learning archery, learning. Oh, wow. Sword work. Holy uh, shit. You're a superhero. And, oh, <laughs> hardly. I'll write you a ballad and uh, Kung and, Fu. Yeah. Um, I learned a mixture of like Kung Fu, Judo, and uh, <laughs> Marines combat training. Oh, okay. <laughs> combat training when I was younger. And then uh, probably about six years ago, I did. Uh, I was training pretty heavily in, in Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai and. Was this over in St. Pete? Boxing. No, this was in Tampa. Okay. I've, only, I've actually. Well, Did you go to Tampa Muay Thai? Uh, no, oh. I had a I had a good friend who has uh, his own place. place yeah. Smash. Okay. Smash MMA, and it's uh, uh, Smash Brown is his name. Okay. Basically. Oh wow. Uh, Martin. What else could he have gone into? Yeah. And, yeah, for sure. But he's an incredible fighter, yeah. and he's he was really nice to me because um, I picked that stuff up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, you know, I, I think part of the reason I picked up guitar quickly was because I was doing that kind of training at a young age and right. it taught me how to, you know, once you get the right motion, how to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it correctly. And knowing that the repetition is going to lead to the ability to do it without thinking, know, about, thinking it, yeah. about it too much. Um, yeah, so I trained for... Uh, I, think I only trained for maybe about six months, maybe something like that. Um, and then I got third degree burns on my knees um, from that or from something else from a, from a mm. stupid mistake okay. with, a, with a propane. Grill. Okay. Okay. Basically people asked me to help them light it and they had a plate of like burgers and onions and stuff. And all I could smell was that I couldn't smell the, propane the gas was they just, had been released yeah. for 15 minutes blew before up, I tried to light yeah. it and it created a big fireball oh, and blew me back. And it was wild. I got really lucky that I didn't, you know, get totally maimed by that experience. But yeah, I got that, and then I um, I hurt my patella on my knee for a couple of months. Uh, fell down some stairs, basically. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> and then a few a few months after that, right around when that healed, I, I tore all the ligaments in my left ankle. Damn! Uh, playing volleyball, um, and just like my my foot came down on a on a mound of sand and just rolled. Yeah, rolled your ankle. A solid, you know, ninety degree turn, and just. Pop, pop, it reminds pop, me of that just, meme. It's like the yeah. only joints I roll anymore is playing basketball. Right. My kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, well, yeah. so where? So tell me again where people can find the Sunday Sesh. Uh, the best place to find the Sunday Sesh is our website, the Sunday Sesh. Okay. It's sundaysesshshow.com. Okay. 
Um, we're going to keep that URL even when we change the name and like add redirect it or yeah, yeah, redirect. Yeah. Um, and then to watch right now, the best way, the best place to watch, uh, the show is there. We have all the episodes on an episode page. Um, I have to go home and update that as soon as I get home. Actually, (laughs) that's on the docket today. Your music, is it anywhere that people can find online? Mm -hmm. Ken Apperson is my name and I am on Spotify right now. It's, it's, uh, nothing that I've written in the past uh eight years so when i do finally release some music so the idea is i'm going to in january spend a a good chunk of time getting the stuff done that i that i had done and demoing the new stuff and releasing the stuff that was done in first quarter of 2021 and booking you people want to have you come play Mm -hmm. how do they find you that way uh, they can go to my website, KenApperson.com. Okay. Okay. my website. They can find me on social media. I got really lucky with my name. Apparently, it's it's very SEO. So my Instagram is my name. My my Twitter is my name. That's awesome. Ken Apperson. Um, and uh, find me on there. I want to be friends. If you want to see images of uh, adorable dogs and a little bit of me being a goofball on my show and a little bit of me playing music, Follow me on Instagram. I'm most active on there pretty much. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Uh, I'm going to definitely be a big fan of your show. And hopefully we can uh, commiserate behind the scenes on guests and who we should book and that sort of thing. Yeah. Happy to happy to make recommendations. I got we got really lucky because the majority of the of the actually, honestly, all of the people we've had on the show have been nothing but like professional, courteous, on time. I think that's a local music. You, you kind of got to be. I think so. You too. can't be a you can't be a fucking circus locally right. and expect to get anywhere. Right. Once you're, you know, top, you know, national, whatever, then you can be an asshole. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's another great thing about local music is I've found the artists to be nothing but pleasant, professional, well-spoken, great people. So, yeah. you know, who knew? We've got uh, on the show, we've got everything but ratings right now. <laughs> so we're trying to build those numbers as much as we can. All right. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Uh, And hopefully you'll come back sometime. I will. Absolutely. Have a great time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 